0: Welcome to this episode of SDI Encounters, a podcast from SDI, the home of spiritual companionship. I'm Matt Whitney. On this podcast, we share stories and conversations around spiritual care, companionship, and contemplative practice across a diverse range of traditions and experiences. Spiritual companions support others on their spiritual journeys through life. Spiritual companions are welcoming and present with those they companion, listening and responding without judgment. And spiritual companions are contemplative and honor silence as a spiritual practice. You can learn more about our work at our website, sdiworld.org. If you're enjoying this podcast and you want to help us share and spread the word about the life giving practice of spiritual companionship, you can help us out by subscribing to this podcast through your favorite app. You could give us a like or even write us a review. Thank you for listening. If you're interested in finding a spiritual companion, please check out our resource on our website, the Seek and Find Guide. A database of over seven thousand spiritual directors, chaplains, and life coaches from around the world, who are available to companion with you on your own spiritual journey. The Seek and Find Guide is available on our website, SDIWorld.org. This week, we're running the latest episode of a series we call "My Boss is a Zen Priest." So, my boss is SDI's Executive Director, Reverend Seifu Anil Singmalaris. He's my manager. He provides oversight on the things that I'm working on. And he's also an ordained priest in the Zen Buddhist tradition. And he and I have weekly one-on-one check-in meetings where I tell him about the things that I'm working on and he provides feedback and insight on those things. And because we work at SDI and my boss is a Zen priest, that feedback and insight often delves into deep conversation around spirituality. In this conversation, we talk about our most recent publication of Listen, which is a digital publication that you can read on our website, sdiworld.org, and the inspiration for Reverend Seifu's article, and also my illustrations on the concept of metamorphosis. As you listen to this conversation, we use a lot of metaphors as descriptors for the spiritual journey. And I invite you to reflect on this point in your own journey and how you might apply some of these metaphors yourself. As you reflect on your own sacred story, and yes, your own story is indeed sacred, what are some metaphors you might use to tell this story? What's in that cocoon of yours right now being combusted? I invite you to journal on these questions and share some of these with a spiritual companion. So we produced our fall issue of Listen, which is a collaborative effort between you and me, uh, or me and you, depending on your point of view. Or you and I. <laughs> uh, and you write an article, Listen is our, it's an outreach publication that we do, and you write an article that is motivational, inspirational, a kind of meditation for for people who may not know us or may not know you know what, what the contemplative path is all about or the spiritual journey and why spiritual companionship is such a vital part of that journey, listen is an opportunity for us to unpack some ideas around that. And you write an article and I come up with some art around it uh, and we go back and forth with that and that is how listen comes about, which is a digital publication that is accessed on our websites. So for this previous issue, you wrote an article about metamorphosis. And the imagery that came to you was this cocoon. Can you talk about that process and why that image stood out for you? Yeah,
1: so I had, you know, I don't know if I was listening to National Geographic or some kind of nature-based either radio show or TV show, and it happened to zero in on what actually goes on in the cocoon um, before the butterfly emerges. And I was surprised, even though I, you know, certainly like all school children had studied metamorphosis in some detail, um, when I was a kid, I was surprised to remember that basically e- what's happening inside, impervious to you know, unknown to the outside eye, is a complete deconstructing of the cocoon, that it's reduced to 95%, 96% pulp, right? Everything is pulverized.
0: Uh-huh. The, not the cocoon, but the... The insides. The inside. inside Do we determine what that is? It's a larva? A caterpillar. A caterpillar. A caterpillar. Okay.
1: So the caterpillar's insides are completely um, combusted, if you will. Mm -hmm. Composted and combusted. Or combusted first and then composted. And these imaginal cells, what a wonderful term, imaginal cells remain... um, as the architecture for the emerging butterfly. Mm. And I thought that was a really wonderful metaphor for what happens to us as we emerge, as we uh, continue our spiritual growth. That at some point, everything that we are, everything that we have learned, has to be reduced to a pulp, almost everything. Right, the imaginal cells remain because those are constant, mm. and you know I call I call them the architecture of God. The architecture of God always remains, mm. um, but the rest of it is combusted and deconstructed and needs to be in order for the butterfly to emerge. And what a wonderful analogy! What a wonderful metaphor that is for spiritual growth, and and not just for things that are reasonably obvious, as in processing trauma of all kinds, childhood trauma usually, um, but sometimes all sorts of adult trauma as well. Processing it, digesting it, discerning through it, growing from it, um, but also the same process for everything that we hold dear. You know, our our most dearly held beliefs about God, the universe, uh, Tao, mm, you know, in my case, Buddhism, that all of those need to be pulverized as well in order for um, a clean impression of God to emerge within us, a cleaner impression of God to emerge within us. And how that's really similar to, to the process that we engage in with our spiritual companions and spiritual directors is they help us they become mirrors to us to um, help us process, to help us process as much of that, those obstacles as possible and to recognize that they are obstacles. And and in fact that, you know, once we've done all the obvious work of of processing trauma, that uh, the not obvious work of processing the things that that we believe in that provide stability that provides sustenance to us is as essential, because those things are actually getting in our way as well, even though they sustain us for a while.
0: What motivates someone to decompose or combust these things within themselves? You know, I think you mentioned traumas. Yeah. Uh, you know the certain sort of negative things that we that we carry. some of them we might be able to identify but probably many of them we can't. Um, maybe you could talk about some examples of that and why why it's important to sort of process those as part of our spiritual journeys
1: Yeah so I mean I think built into us we, we have these two opposing strands, seemingly opposing strands one is, the seed of the divine, right? We long for God. We long for union with the universe. Um, it's built into us. It's been. It's built into all of us. Yeah. Interesting that um, we are the only species on this planet that actually thinks about this stuff, right? And and which actually becomes an obstacle. Cows don't think about, you know being one with God. Yeah. Um, neither do fish and most you know, most creatures on this planet except for us, and perhaps a few others. Um, don't think about this, they, al- they already live into it. Mm-hmm. They live into the, the purity of union, unthinking union, intuitive union with everything that was, is, and will be. And we get in our, way, in our own way, with paradoxically, with the very gifts that we've been given, which is intellectual discernment, the ability to produce things, um, <clears throat> art, or music, writing, um, buildings, all sorts of things, right? <laughs> which are tied to our intellectual capabilities which are wonderful things and, and to be admired, um, are also getting in our way. And so we have this built-in longing like all species, um, probably not just on this planet, but in, throughout the, the universe, um, to n- not to, to remain connected, to reconnect to our essence. And the special challenge that our gifts and talents Uh, paradoxically impose on us as well.
0: Support for this podcast comes from Spiritual Companionship for Our Times, SDI's annual gathering of spiritual companions happening in Santa Fe, New Mexico, April 23rd through 26th, 2020. Registrations are now open with super early bird pricing available through September 15th. We'll be celebrating SDI's 30th anniversary and charting the road ahead as we seek to welcome more and more people to the transformational gifts of spiritual companionship and to make this healing modality available to every person on the planet. Learn more now about our annual conference at www.sdievents.org. And now here's part two of our conversation. What do you think is the one thing that most of us need to, to combust or decompose?
1: So, so we need to combust our traumas. I mean, we, we all carry a ton of baggage and we're so used to carrying it that we don't even notice that it's there most of the time. And, you know, once we start, you start the process of individuation, self-discovery and self-growth. The first thing you deal with is your traumas. Right? because you are, we all are you know, reactive to certain things, triggered by certain things. It's usually tied to childhood experiences when we were at our most open on the one hand, but our most vulnerable at the same time. And that leaves some positive experiences and a lot of pain um, as well. A lot of pain and trauma as well. So we deal with those obvious things first. You know whether we had parents who neglected us, or if we were bullied by, you know, school schoolmates or siblings. Um, If we had physical difficulties or emotional difficulties, psychological difficulties, we start by processing those because they're kind of the low hanging fruit. They they start to manifest more easily. Um, as you engage in deep listening and contemplation and and discerning, um, you know, listening with lots of, of channels beyond the ones that we actually use every day. Um, so that's low-hanging fruit. But in addition to that there is there's the very things that we hold on to that provide stability also get in our way. And so as we start to migrate from processing our trauma to what's, what else is there to process? Well, our very self becomes uh, an obstacle, right? The false, uh, the false sense of division between me and the rest of the, of the planet, between me and every other human being on the planet, um, that starts to fall away. And pretty soon, you know, we're kind of swimming in these wide open spaces that make most people very, very uncomfortable and very, very afraid. Because now we're unmoored and untethered. Um, The way we were before we came into these bodies and the way we will be as we exit them. Mm -hmm. Untethered, unmoored, um, disconnected. And yet, uh, that is the place of connection with, that's that liminal space of connection with the universe, God, however you describe that, that uh, ultimate essence. Um, So the caterpillar is going through a very similar process internally of destroying everything that made it what it was in order for its greater being, its higher, higher being to emerge this wonderful a uh, creature that flies, that is beautiful, glorious uh, to look at, um, that seems free and unfettered and unbound, compared to its predecessor, the the you know tightly cocooned caterpillar. Um, so, again, wonderful analogy.
0: Yeah, a lot of what you're saying is resonating personally for me as somebody who would identify as being in that metamorphosis stage early, Mm. learning how to decompose things, baggage, mainly around dualistic notions of the divine, Mm. right? Like I am me and God is God and God is other. Mm. Being in this metamorphosis stage, I sort of envy the caterpillars, right? So it's uh, for all the reasons that you said—the untethering, the the discomforts, the being, you know, homeless, as it were, not being able to identify clear boundaries of, mm-hmm. uh, and so and I, I look at, you know, p- people who feel pretty confident or assured in in their structures and definitions. And, uh, doubt s- sneaks in, yeah. Right. Uh, so we can we can sort of see the metaphor of the butterfly and be like, oh yeah, know that process. Like I can watch that on the Nature Channel, and it's it's a beautiful analogy. Like you said, it's hard to trust that the butterfly stage will come.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it's 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 that leap of faith that we're always talking about. It's, it's that stepping outside of our comfort zone into what eventually turns out to be, you know, the warm and loving embrace of, of God and the universe. But what prior to that loving embrace sure looks like certain death. <laughs> sure looks like the extinction of our very being right, um, which fills us with fear and dread and makes us retreat back into the cocoon, into the protective you know, structures of our dogmas and beliefs and routines and patterns of daily existence, because that's stuff that we can touch and feel and that gives us comfort and certainty, and, so, and yet binds us, binds us, jails us, actually. Jails us. So it is interesting if you look at the history of religions and you look at, at um, you know, all of these wonderful religious teachers through time that they are all willing to step outside of that comfort zone at great personal cost to them, and yet they are eventually released into this marvelous flowering like a butterfly and that's the price of admission and yes there's no certainty or I mean it's it's the very repudiation of certainty mm-hmm. right it is if you want to be like me says the universe says the butterfly says God um, you know jump into the abyss trust me and jump into the abyss. And who jumps into the abyss, right? Crazy people. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is true. And so so we have to be we have to let that spirit, that faith move us. And and I you know, I think it's it's also there's ways uh, to do it. It's it's kind of like mm, deep water swimming, right? A child, a two-year-old who gets to the edge of the ocean yeah, is scared. Those waves scare her or him yeah. because they're so big and so powerful and, and it in, intrinsically recoils from the threat to, to uh, its being, to our being that, that, that those waves entail. But after a while, we learn to splash around and after a while, we learn to swim and after a while, we learn how to swim really well. And some of us become deep water uh, swimmers and, you know, can cross entire channels and can swim for, you know, miles and miles and miles um, when we have to. And so th- there's a way to make that leap more comfortable It's a, or ascent. We always talk about ascending a mountain, right? Well, you yeah. you don't go up Mount Everest without Training, being physically trained without oxygen tanks, without protective layers, without enough food and water, without tents, without um, all the necessary tools, or will die. You don't go up the uh, the deepest. You don't go down the deepest r- uh, ravines, or swim in the deepest waters, or go up the steepest mountains without some preparation and some training. So it's not necessarily that that image that we use about jumping into the ravine is, or, or jumping into the abyss, is not entirely correct because we can train ourselves step by step to explore the abyss, to learn how to, you know, climb down its edges. Eventually, we will get to a point where we have to, to let go. And, and but by the, by the time we reach, hopefully, by the time we reach that point, we have enough familiarity with ourselves, enough familiarity with the abyss and its contours to go, I trust that when I let go, something is going to scoop me up. Something is going to release me. Something is going to free me. And so that's a little far afield from our, you know, I think that our our caterpillar butterfly metaphor
0: goes only so far. Well, I think we're still there. What are the you mentioned like training and practice what what would you recommend for somebody who is on this journey for themselves who is in this metamorphosis state what are some practices and trainings that you would recommend
1: you know i think the caterpillar is it is an interest if we follow that metaphor a little bit longer is it's interesting it's it doesn't move you know I mean it's crazy though, but it's pretty well tethered. It's pretty well bound. Hmm. Um, Prayer, meditation is, um, contemplative practice is quiet. It's reflective, it's introspective. And it's often referred to incorrectly, I, I would argue, as stilling stilling our senses. And I would say that actually what's happening is the complete opposite, that all of our senses are being heightened, right? Because we we are quiet and we start to listen to the universe in a way that we don't normally allow ourselves to. And it starts to permeate on all sorts of channels that we're not necessarily consciously aware of but because we, of course we operate, we are one with the universe and it talks to us, through us, with us um, in all sorts of ways that our discriminating mind can't perceive. So back to the, to the, um, to the animals and, and other creatures and species on the planet that don't have higher intellectual capabilities like we humans do, and yet who sure seem like they're moving through their lives with great confidence and grace and intuitive alignment with something greater than themselves. And so I think we have, we have to get to that same stage. And I think contemplative practices um, allow us to do that by heightening our awareness, by heightening our, our perceptions um, paradoxically, by allowing us to listen more closely to the heart of the universe.
0: Mm. If I can wrap this metaphor in a tidy bow, yeah, it's like meditation sort of reveals to us the imaginal cells, yeah, that are within us and around us.
1: Yes, Oof. yes, absolutely. That's that's well said. It's it's like. Um, you know, you dig deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper, like, like you know, scientists do, and and it's amazing. More structure upon more structure upon more structure. It never condenses down to nothing. There's just an infinite amount of layers that we keep uncovering mm-hmm. as we go along. And the same thing as, you know, when we begin to explore the outer reaches of the universe, we go, oh my gosh, you know, here's the Earth. and this solar system and this particular universe and then the multiverse and the as our scientific know-how allows us to, to reach further and further into space, we start to see that it, it, it really is unbound. There seems to be no limit to it. Whether we're going outwards or going inwards, there seems to be no limit. Mm-hmm. And we are creatures of the universe um, so why would we have any limits? Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's the, it's the same thing. And, and accepting that also means coming to terms with how finite these manifestations are, these bodies that we inhabit in this lifetime, the relationships that we have. Um, all of those are finite manifestations of an infinite universe. And not only should we not be scared of them, we should welcome that. Because it actually is the path to our ultimate transcendence. Hmm. That's uh, (laughs) a mouthful. That's deep.
0: (laughs) Uh, That may have to be another conversation. Yeah. The the infinite. Okay. This is Matt Whitney with Spiritual Directors International. Thanks again for listening. Your time and your presence here are deeply appreciated. If you liked this show and would like us to continue making them, please do subscribe now while it's fresh on your mind. Also, we would love to hear from you, so please feel free to send in your comments and suggestions to the email address podcast at sdiworld.org. To learn more about spiritual companionship and ways that you can plug in and join our community, visit us at our website, at www.sdiworld.org Thank you. Blessings and peace on your day. And may you share blessings and peace to others.